0: Amen. Give them a hand. That, that I was I was thinking, man, I better preach good after that. That's Talk about setting the bar high. Andrew Womack used to say that he could preach even if the devil led praise and worship. And I believe him, but it sure is a lot better to have people like Casey and Jackie do it. So, anyway... I'm uh, I'm just excited about what God is doing. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to um, James chapter one. That's kind of the first place that we'll we'll get to. We're doing a series of teaching really about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And my point in all of this is that second uh, Corinthians 3:18 says that we're transformed as we behold the glory of God. That means that, the more I can see God clearly, the more I'll be made like Him. And what we've got to do is we've got to shift our gaze from the Old Testament, which was really a shadow, an a unclear and incomplete picture of who God is, to Jesus, who is the full and complete picture of jesus and sometimes people panic when you say things like that because they're like what are you saying pastor we're just gonna tear the old testament out of our bible no don't don't do that all right i love the old testament i read the whole bible every year okay but i'm just saying what second corinthians 3 says and i kept saying this to you but i thought i ought to read it it's a little bit hard to read i think in the king james So I'm going to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation is a paraphrase. It's a new paraphrase. Uh, I really like it. Uh, Typically, it's better to read, in my opinion, a literal translation, so I wouldn't have this as my only Bible, but it's a great commentary. So he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 8 through 12, he's talking about the difference between the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses... And Jesus, and he says there's a difference, and he says this, How much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation, that's talking about the law, was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness excel in glory? What was once glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry, excuse me, the fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak truth. That's an amazing portion of Scripture. What he's saying is, is that when, when Moses received the law, Moses' face shone. It radiated light. But the moment the law was given, that glory began to fade. It began to diminish until it ultimately faded away completely. But in Christ, we have a measure of glory that is ever-increasing. 2 Corinthians 3.18 once again says that we go from glory to glory. It's ever Growing, It's ever increasing. Now what does all that mean? Glory in the Bible really is talking about the nature and character of God. Exodus 33 teaches us this. Uh, Moses asks to see the glory of God and God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. His glory, in many respects, is His goodness. He says, I'm going to reveal myself to you, and He declares who He is, and He talks about that He is good and righteous, and He forgives iniquity and all this. The glory of God is the character of God. So what what 2 Corinthians 3 teaches us is that the Old Testament taught us stuff about the character of God. Is that true? It it is absolutely true. But it says that 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 measure of that revelation is limited. And it is so far exceeded by the glory in the New Testament that it is is as though that glory in the Old never existed. That's a strong statement. But what it means is that I'm not allowed to go to, say, for example, the book of Job and use that as the primary way for me to picture who God is. I've got to let Jesus paint a picture on my heart of who God is. That doesn't mean that Job or the Old Testament books don't contain any light, but it means they are shadows. And so Jesus is the person that casts the shadow. And when the person shows up, it's silly to stop, to to debate about the shadow. And you're looking at the shadow, well, I think this contour looks like this, his face looks. No, just, just look at the person. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at Jesus and see who Jesus is and and reconcile some of that with with what went on in the Old Testament. And it's kind of confusing sometimes, and we'll give an example of this. So what I want to talk to you today specifically is about evil and uh, whether or not God is is the author of evil. Um, And so let's look at James chapter 1 and verse... 13. It says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. Everybody see that? Amen. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust, therefore, has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now, how could you err? Well, by not believing this next verse. (laughs) Verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What is he saying there? He's saying that God is good and He's the source of all things good, And there's no shadow of turning, meaning that he's all light and he's all light all the time. And there's no hidden dark side of God. There's no hidden will of God underneath the revealed will of God that somehow might damage you. And he says specifically that he cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. Now the implication there is that he doesn't tempt anybody With evil. The word for tempt, it means to try or to test or to put through a trial. So, what he's saying here is that God's not going to bring something evil into your life in order to discern how good of a Christian you are. That's what he's saying. He's not going to test you with evil. Well, that that deserves an amen. Okay? So so that's good news. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about in the Old Testament where it says he he t- tempted or he tested Abraham? Cuz it says that, and actually in the Greek when it talks about it in the New Testament, it uses the exact same Greek word. Did God tempt Abraham or test Abraham? He did. But the thing we're to learn is that the New Testament has more light, and so it says that he did not tempt Abraham with evil. Now, the whole deal with Abraham is another message. It was a very specific thing that had to occur in order to make way for the Messiah. But what we're to learn from Abraham, really, is this truth. God gave Abraham a dream, which was to be the father of many nations. In fact, his own pagan dad prophesied over him that he would be the father of many nations. He named him Abram. Which means exalted father. This was, this was Abram's destiny, Abraham's destiny from the moment he was born to have a bunch of kids. That was his dream. That might seem like a small dream to you. I know we live in a culture that, that doesn't value kids the way they did back then, but it was, that was how you discerned the blessing of God on your life was that you had a lot of kids. It was an amazing thing, and that's what you wanted to do. And this was Abraham's destiny. And God gave him this dream, and then God gives him Isaac, and what he asks him to do is put Isaac temporarily up on the altar. What does that teach us? It just teaches us that if God is going to test you, he's not going to test you with anything evil. He's not going to bring some horrible calamity or disease or disaster into your life. What he might do is he might ask you to take a dream that you have and put it on the altar. Now, why would he do that? Well, a couple reasons. One is because it's only safe for me to have dreams that I don't need. Imagine for a moment that I'm a, a, well, I am a dad, but imagine that my son turns 16, and, and I get this idea that I want my son to have a bright red Corvette because I love him. And I think, you know what? It's his destiny to drive around in a bright red Corvette. It'll be amazing. Well, here's the deal. If I'm a good father, I can buy that thing for him. I can have it sitting in in the garage, in the driveway. But if I'm really a good dad... I'm not giving it to him when he's 16. You know why? Because it'll kill him. There are blessings and dreams that God wants to give us that he has to wait until we reach a certain level of maturity in order for us to, to be safe to have them. Now, he's cheering for us the whole time. I want my kids to drive a Corvette. I think it's great, but I want them to be safe. So, I'm not going to give him the keys until I'm sure that it's safe. And what I might do is let him do a try run. Maybe he could take it to prom. And if he's faithful in the small things, what's the scripture will say will happen? You'll be faithful in that which is much. In my own personal life, here's how this worked, okay? I've wanted to be a, a pastor. I've known that I've been called to do something like this since I was probably 13 years old. But doing something like this is not safe when you're 13. I'm serious. It wasn't safe for me to do this five years ago. Now you might say, well, does that mean, what, what about somebody else? Could other people younger than you start church? Sure they do. I'm saying it wasn't safe for me And before I ever got to this place where God gave me my dream, which which really is this church, I actually came to a place where I said, God, I don't need this. For a while, it was part of how I defined my identity. I'm called to the ministry. You know, that's what makes me cool. And then I realized after a while... That's not it. That's not what makes me cool. But what gives me value, what makes me significant is the fact that my father loves me. And I, I told him, I said, God, I'm so happy in my relationship with you. I don't, need, I don't need to start a church. I don't need to be in the ministry. I love doing what I'm doing. And I put this dream up on the altar. And because I was willing to do that, it became safe for me to have it. That is, that's a good word, okay. So what's that mean? It means that God's not going to tempt you with evil. He's not taking something bad away, from, you know, something away from me. He's not doing evil things to you. It's a really strong statement there. We'll, we'll deal with that more in a minute. So the New Testament says that. Well, what about, what about these verses in the Old Testament? These are, these are difficult. I'll do them on the screen so it goes quick, Okay. Uh, so I say to you, God doesn't create evil. That's what the New Testament teaches us. But Isaiah forty-five seven says this: "I form light. This is God speaking, and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things." Everybody see that? All right, that's disturbing, right? <laughs> Turn over to uh, Amos one or excuse, Amos three verses one through six. I'll read this real quickly. Hear this word of the Lord that has spoken against you, O you children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from Egypt, saying... Now, this is important. Listen to this verse. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. What's he saying there? Is he saying that he did not know anything about anybody? You know, there's Native Americans living over here. He didn't have any idea about any of that. Is that what he's saying? No, No, what he's he's saying is, is that he's the only... The, the nation of Israel are the only people that God made this kind of covenant with. Now, because of that, what? Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Is he punishing the Native Americans during this time for their iniquities? No, why not? Because they don't have a, a specific covenant with him that said that he would. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Verse 4. Will a lion roar in the forest when there is no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Skip to verse 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not done it? All right. So here we've got two verses in the Old Testament that seem to be saying that God creates evil and that if there's evil in a city, that God is the person that has caused this to occur, okay? How do you make sense of this in light of the New Testament which says that God does not do this sort of thing? And I'll read you a whole, whole list of scriptures in a minute in the New Testament that says that He doesn't. Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is when you come across stuff like this, if you can't reconcile it and you don't understand it, you've got a choice, Because these two things seem to be in disagreement. James seems to be disagreeing with these. Well, which one has more glory? James does. James hung out with Jesus. Is that true? Is Jesus the full and final revelation of the Father? He is. So I've got to give more weight to what James says, even if I can't explain this Old Testament stuff. Now I'm going to explain it to you. But I can't explain every single verse in the Old Testament. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you stay here long enough, I will. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I have revelation of every verse in the Old Testament, but I'm trying. Okay? I'm working on it. Everybody say, the pastor's working on it. Yes. So get, have grace. grace. That's, now try again. Say, have grace, grace. For, the for the pastor. All right. So what's the deal, though, with these verses? Why are they in there? Well, look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 15 really quickly. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. This is describing the kind of covenant that the nation of Israel had with God. And it says in verse 15, It will come to pass that if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then he starts to list a whole bunch of curses. So he says, look, I'm making a specific agreement with you guys, not with anybody else, but with the nation of Israel. And I'm saying, Here's what this agreement looks like. If you don't keep all these things, I'm going to bring curses upon you. Now, what are some of the curses that he's going to bring? Well, let's read verse 35. The Lord shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot under the top of your head. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awful. The word sore there in the Hebrew is the, is the Hebrew word raw. It's the exact same word that is found in Isaiah 45 verse 7 and Amos uh, where it talks about evil. It's the word for evil. So he says, I'm going to smite you with an evil disease. Skip down to verse 59. The Lord will make your plagues wonderful and the plagues of your seed, even great plagues of long continuance and sore sicknesses of long continuance. Man, that's rough. Thank God we don't live back then. Once again, the word sore for sore sicknesses is the Hebrew word ra, R-A. It means evil, calamitous, disastrous. And so God is saying there's going to be evil that comes upon you if you don't keep this covenant. Skip over to... Chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. And in another place he says, therefore choose what? Life. Life. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. I'm just showing you all the scripture. And the Lord rooted them out. What am I looking at? Chapter 28. I'm looking at the wrong verse. What did I say? Twenty-eight forty-nine. The Lord shall bring a nation against you from far from the edge of the earth as swift as an eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not be able to understand, a nation of fierce countenance and so forth. All right. I need you to just think with me a minute, okay? Deuteronomy is the context for the entire rest of the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy, God enters into a specific contractual agreement with the nation of Israel. And as we've discussed before, the way that covenant looks is different than what God originally offered. God originally offered to make everybody a priest and everybody uh, be part of the royal family of God. And the nation of Israel said no. And then they sinned with a golden calf. And what ends up happening to them is a lesser covenant than what God offered. God offered them what's called a grant covenant, which is where God just gives you stuff, which is the best kind of covenant because you can't earn stuff from God anyway. And they end up with what is called a servant vassal covenant, which sort of indentures them to God. And it ends up making them the vassal of God in the same way that the uh, nations surrounding them were sort of the vassals of the pagan gods of the day and this created all sorts of negative side effects. One of those was, was that there's now this situation where God is obligated, because of the covenant, to bring punishment and bring evil on the nation of Israel if they sin. So, when Amos says, if there is evil in a city, surely the Lord has done it. The context of that is this covenant that God has with the nation of Israel. Amos isn't talking about any city on the planet Earth. He's talking about cities like Judah in the nation of Israel. And in Judah, under the law of Moses, if there was evil in the city, it was a punishment from God. Because that's what the contract specified. The exact same thing is true of what Isaiah says. Isaiah, if you read the full context, he's talking about that uh, specifically most of the prophets and most of the minor prophets are about the nation of Babylon coming and destroying Judah. And this is a great evil that occurred. Why did did it occur? Well, because God said, I'm making a contract with you. Don't go into idolatry if you do then I'll have to bring this nation to kick you out of of Canaan. Well, they went into idolatry, and God upheld his end of the bargain. So he created this evil in the form of the nation of Babylon, and he brought it against the nation of Judah, and he punished them for sins. However, None of these verses are intended in any way to state that God is the source of all evil on the planet or that in any city, if something bad occurs, that that is somehow God's fault. Once again, what what happened to the nation of Israel is unique in history. No other nation has this kind of written contract with all the, the... Do's and don'ts and the the just punishments and stuff like the people do in in the nation of Israel. We have a different covenant. Now, the nation of of the United States has no covenant with God. But all of you, if you're Christians, you have a covenant with God. And what your covenant says is stuff like, I'll have mercy on your unrighteousness. Your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Isaiah 54 says, I will not be wroth with you, neither will I rebuke you. I'll never be mad at you again. That's what your covenant looks like. So you can't just take stuff that was about a covenant that didn't apply to you and apply it indiscriminately to yourself. Nor can you apply it indiscriminately to this nation. The evil that goes, there's lots of evil that goes on in this city. But if, if, you know somebody you know there's murder all the time, I mean God forbid, but there's people shooting each other and all this stabbing people and whatever. Why is that occurring what's well, not God's not doing that people are doing that Well, amen all right let's look at what the New Testament has to say about all this Luke nine verse fifty six in this verse uh <laughs> Jesus' disciples are trying to reach back into the Old Testament and bring a model into the New, and and they're mad at this city of Samaria, and they don't like the Samaritans, partially because they're racist and partially because the Samaritans rejected Jesus. And so what they think is, you know what, Let's let's just do like Elijah did, and let's just burn this whole city to the ground. Let's commit genocide. Jesus, what do you think about that? That sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, you killed lots of people in the Old Testament. What does Jesus say? Whoa! Pump the brakes, guys. What's the deal here? For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to what? Save them. Which has greater revelation, the stuff where where God's expelling the Canaanites or Jesus... Who's saying I'm not here to judge or kill people? I'm here to save life. Amen. Which has more light? Jesus. Jesus is the full picture. We got to look at Jesus. We got to get our eyes off this other stuff. John ten ten says the thief, the devil, and his greatest creation, religion, have come to steal, kill, and destroy. Where is the evil? Where is the stealing and killing and and destruction coming from in the world that we see around us? From the thief. But I have come. Who's come? Jesus. I, Jesus. The full picture of the Father. I, who am God, I have come that you might have Zoe life, that you might have full, blessed, prosperous, successful life, that you might actually be happy. (laughs) that you might actually not be stressed out all the time that you might actually calm down a little bit and that you might have it more abundantly now you might say well pastor my life doesn't look like that I still have problems well welcome to the club (laughs) why do you think Jesus came (laughs) (laughs) Christianity is not some magic formula You, you rub some Christianity on it it'll fix it no it's it's Jesus is the answer to our problems but we're all in process and there's still problems And Hebrew says that That Jesus has got to reign until everything's under his feet, until death's under his feet, until all sin, until fear's under his feet. He's going to rule until everything that is against Jesus and against love, everything will bow the knee. But Hebrews says, right now we don't see everything under Jesus. But we do see Jesus. What's that mean? It means maybe not everything in my life is perfect yet. But I see Jesus. I see where it's headed. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He's on the throne. He's exalted. He's seated in heaven. Where are you headed? If you know the Bible, you're headed towards the throne in heaven. You're, you're going to be seated, you are actually already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 1 John 3 8. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Jesus is against the devil. He's against the works of the devil. The other day, Friday night, some nut job called the church, left me a voicemail. Hail Lucifer! He's coming for you. And I thought, praise God, I've been trying to get on the devil's hit list for a while. I must be... I must be accomplishing something. I must be doing something right. And I was about to call him back and say, Jesus has a message for you. You're loved. There's nothing you can do about it. But Molly said, if you call him back, you'll just antagonize him, and then he'll call us in the middle of the night. And she was right, so I calmed down. One time a lady called me when I worked for Andrew Womack Ministries and she called me and she said, She said, You gotta help me. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm here. What do you need? I'm with my husband. He's demon possessed. He's in the car next to me. I need you to do something. We're out in the police department. I'm like, God, help me. I don't know what to what do you what do you mean? And I can hear him, I can hear him. He's over there and he's cussing. "Ah, You know, saying all these cuss words and stuff. She's like, I'm gonna give him the phone. (laughs) <laughs> I said, "Great." <laughs> so she, she, he gives me the phone and he starts cussing at me, and, and I said, "Hey, hey man, how are you?" <laughs> like I'm here with my wife, and I, I hate God and I hate you." And I said, "Why, well, I want you to know I love you." And Jesus loves you, and Jesus isn't mad at you. Right. And you know, you're deceived, and you're just, you're, you know, you're high on rage. But you, if you just calm down a little bit, <laughs> I don't know what I said. it was been years ago. <laughs> anyway, I got to the part where I talked. It's, it's, here's a powerful thing if you want to mess with people, don't just say Jesus loves you, say I love you, and mean it. So I told him, I love you, and I meant it, and he hung up on me. And then I prayed with the next person. <laughs> I don't know why I told that. But anyway. <laughs> Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing what? Good. good. Did He go about doing evil? No. no. Did He go about killing people? No. no. Did He go about making people sick? No. no. Did He go about taking money from people and making people poor? No. Nope. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of who? The devil. For God was with him. Matthew 12, 22 through 28. I won't read this in the interest of time, but Jesus is casting out demons. And they said, well, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And he said, a house divided against itself can't stand. If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, how shall the... Kingdom of the devil stand, but if I by the finger of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's he saying there? He's saying that God and Jesus and the devil are not on the same team. Now in the Old Testament, sometimes people look that way. In in Judaism, uh, they view the devil primarily as sort of a servant of of God. Why is that? Because they don't have the New Testament. They don't believe the New Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes it really clear. Hey, I know all that stuff might have confused you before. There was a shadow. But right now I'm here. And what I'm telling you is I hate the devil. He's trying to kill you. I'm trying to save you. Amen. Now, we've got five minutes to answer this impossible-to-answer theological question. Which is, where does evil come from? If God's not the author of it, if he's not the source of it, then where does it come from? I hesitate to give lists like this because what people do is they look at the list and they create a formula. And they try to apply it indiscriminately to their lives and figure out, you know, all the things. Why is this going on? And, and this is a list of why evil generally in, is in the world. Not all of these things necessarily apply into your situation. I don't, I don't know why certain things occur. I don't know why some people die. I don't know. There's a lot of terrible things that happen on the planet and and we want to use wisdom and, and have some humility and not think that we understand everything because what happens is mostly people have a lot of anxiety about why there's, why there's mystery and why there's all this and so they, they find a pat answer. They find a platitude. This is This is... Difficult preaching. This is why I said the funny stuff earlier. Okay, listen to me. What what happens is people oversimplify life in order to resolve their own anxiety, which helps you, but then when you take your formula and your oversimplification and you project it on somebody else's problem, you end up doing great harm to them. So don't do that. Okay, but broadly speaking, where, where does evil come from? Well, James one fifteen we read this earlier, says that people are drawn away of their own lust and enticed by evil. Why is there some evil? Because people make a bad choice. People have free will. You know, you could go, I'm married, I could go commit adultery. The, God, it's, God does not make the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders come on the TV to see whether or not you'll look away. All right? He does not tempt people with evil. I was hoping that would get a better laugh. But, <laughs> but anyway, he doesn't, he doesn't tempt us to lust or anything like that. If I'm, if I'm drawn away and get into adultery, it's because I made that decision. And so that brings great harm to me. So sometimes my own choices create problems for me. Amen? Amen. But if I did that, it would also bring great evil into my wife's life and my kids' life, who had no part in that. So sometimes there's evil in our lives because of other people's choices that affect us. What do you do about it? Well, you you forgive them and you go on with Jesus because, because being mad about it can't fix anything. Another reason that we have evil, 1 Peter 5 8, says that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil's real. There are demons. God the, the devil hates you and he's trying to kill you and steal from you and stuff. So and, and 1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. It's right. So there's there's people and nations and stuff that are influenced by the devil and and you know, I think about North Korea. I mean that place is it's darkness. And, and what's happened is, is that the leadership there has made agreement with demonic ways of governance. And so the people there are in great poverty. It's horrific. Does God want that? No. Why, why, and so those, the, the leadership there, they've made all these terrible choices that have really damaged the people's lives there. Now, when John wrote that, I believe that the whole world did lie in control of the wicked one. But I don't believe it's true anymore. Because is He in control of your life? It's possible that entire cities and nations can break free of the control of the devil. Here's a powerful reason. Why is there evil? James 3.16 Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Sometimes there's evil in my life because I have strife with people. Particularly with my brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm supposed to have agreement with. Sometimes we have it from a lack of prayer. 1 Timothy 2.2 tells us to pray for our government so that we could live in peace. Peace is shalom. It's the absence of evil. So this is convicts me. I, it, the political system stresses me out and so sometimes I don't pray about it. You should pray about it. We can't complain about it if we don't pray about it. Why else? Well, there's a curse on the earth. Sometimes there's wicked people. I've got a bunch of lit verses there. Hosea 4 6 says that my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. You know, you can have evil in your marriage because you don't know how to communicate in a healthy way, you can lack knowledge. We also sometimes have, have evil because we haven't honored one another in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that. This is not an exhaustive list. The last one, Matthew 6.10, there's a typo there. It should say because we've tried to escape to heaven instead of believing for heaven to come to earth. I'm happy for the promise of heaven. We all ought to go there, and, and it's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, I've got a job to do. My job isn't to just try to run away from all the evil. My job is to confront the evil and overcome it with good. The Bible says overcome evil with good. Well, that's a good word. Let's all stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Is anybody blessed this morning? Let my prayer team come down here. So there might be evil in your life. You might have a problem. <laughs> if you're like me, you might have a couple. Sometimes I think I have a problem, and then I call my pastor, and he's like, I have a bigger problem. And then I'm like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> but anyway, you might have a problem. We want to agree with you. Jesus wants you to help, help you overcome the evil. We want to stand with you against it, whatever it is. We love you we we just we're a church in love with Jesus and we're a church at war with the devil so anyway I'm going to pray for everybody and then if you need personal prayer you come down here we'll agree with you Father we love you this morning we thank you that you're good and you only do good that you're all light Lord let us see you clearly let us look away from the confusion that's in our hearts and just peer your glory full in the face. Thank you, Jesus. We just receive this. We receive fresh revelation, depth of understanding of these things. Bless you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.